Welcome to the Grace Harbor Church Sermon Podcast. Grace Harbor Church is located in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information, visit our website at ghokc.com. Psalm 16. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Um, we pray that you would bless, um, bless the reading of your word, um, bless the study of your word this morning. Uh, we pray that you would bless those who hear your word this morning, um, those who have ears, Lord, um, help them hear, let us hear. Um, and so, Lord, just help us to understand it. Uh, we know that your word uh, may be understood um, and that you've communicated to us in such a way uh, that we may know who you are, um, that we may know ourselves more deeply, uh, but ultimately so that we may bring glory um, to your name um, so that we may know from whom all truth derives. Um, so we thank you for it. We thank you for this psalm. Um, we thank you for the life that it brings, uh, the reminders, the challenges. And so, Lord, in, in each of those ways, help us to be receptive. Help us to be um, challenged um, and convicted um, where there are areas in our life um, that need correction. Um, help it to be um, a source of, of, of joy uh, in those areas where it, where it boldly proclaims um, the truth of who you are and what you have done, um, and then help it comfort us um, in those areas where, where, we, where we need hope, um, where we need to be reminded this morning um, of something, uh, maybe because of challenges that we're walking through, uh, maybe because of um, the complexities um, that, that we face in this life. Um, and then, Lord, just give us a, a really deep love and a deep hunger uh, for what your word has to say. Uh, we pray all these things in your name. Amen. You may be seated. Um, as we do each week, if you have not grabbed one of those Bibles yet, as we do each week, um, and maybe even more so today, because what we're doing today is we're literally just walking through this psalm together. Um, we want to take, take a little pause from the book of Matthew. Um, I don't know about you. It's kind of felt like a fire hydrant to me. Um, and so psalm is just one of those places where um, it just kind of reorients us and allows us to see, see God really for who he is. Not that there's other portions of scripture that don't do that, 
but just remind us um, of maybe even some of the uh, some of the, the times in our life where where we can come to God even when it's when it's hard and when it's challenging. And so follow along in your um, copy of God's Word. Um, don't take my word for it. Take the word of God for it. Um, and so I definitely would not say that I have a favorite psalm or anything, but this is definitely my favorite psalm, um, psalm, chapter, psalm chapter 16. Um, and so um, my mind may change on that um, over the years to come, but so far, Psalm 16 has been a place uh, that, that my, my mind often goes, um, and it's very memorable to me. And so I hope that this morning, something in it will stick out. What I, one of the things that's, that's interesting um, and important to note about Psalm chapter 16 is that both Peter um, in Acts chapter 2 and the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 13 quote this psalm. Um, they refer back to this exact psalm. And so in Acts 2 is Peter, the day of Pentecost, the birth of the church. Um, and then in Acts chapter 13, uh, both Peter and Paul refer to this. And so it's obviously a psalm that stands the test of time. Um, it stands the test of time for us even today. Um, and I believe, if you'll allow me to make uh, this kind of statement, I believe that it is a psalm that is key to understanding um, the resurrection. Um, it's a psalm key to understanding. Um, it's, it's, it's a psalm fundamental to the church's doctrine, um, to, to, to what we believe. Um, it's, a, it's fundamental to the church's very existence. Um, and, it's, and it's fundamental to our understanding of the gospel itself. Um, and so as we read through this today, as we study Look for those aspects. Look for the way that this psalm shapes our doctrine. Look for the way that, that this psalm shapes our understanding of the resurrection. Look for ways that it, um, that, that it helps us understand even our existence as a people. Um, and, then, and then look for the ways that it helps us understand the gospel itself. What is the gospel? Um, real simply, it's the good news about the, the, the birth, the life, death, resurrection, ascension and, and the reigning of Jesus, and then his desire to have a relationship with sinful people. Um, that's just real simply uh, the gospel. So here's what we're going to do. We're just going to jump right in. We're going to read this together. Um, watch out, because I might actually call, Brent's really good at this, um, might call on people to read a verse, and then we'll just um, discuss it. And so if you think that I'm kidding, Brent, would you read 16.1? Things. So we don't, we don't know precisely um, at what point in the life of David um, that this is being written, uh, but, but many of the Psalms are themselves written in the midst of something very personal um, and something very real in history um, going on. Uh, but for this particular Psalm, we're not exactly sure. We don't know where to tie this in the life of David. Uh, but if we, if we see that each psalm, most of the time, um, is birthed out of like a moment of either despair or joy or suffering, something like that, then we might assume that something's going on in David's life that sparks him to say what he says here. Um, and so what we do know for certain is this, um, because of what David says, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. What we do know is this, church family, and we have to understand this. Remember, it's key to understanding doctrine, the resurrection, our existence, the gospel. 
This is fundamental, what he says in verse one. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. What we know about that is that our approach to God is an approach of utter dependence. Your approach to God is an approach of utter dependence. Um, That is what we see here from David. We come to God empty-handed. You come, when you come to God, you come empty-handed. Again, I'm gonna, I'm gonna point our attention back to this as much as I can. This is one of the reasons why we do communion every week because we believe that it is formidable. We believe that communion forms our hearts and our minds and our hands in a way for us to approach the table empty-handed. It's a picture of the gospel that, that everything in our relationship with God is based on an utter dependence Upon him. We are not independent of God. We are not independent of need for intervention or help. And so, David, whatever's going on in his life, acknowledges that. That our relationship with God is one of utter dependence. The only thing that we, this is, the, this is a really uh, provocative way that I've heard someone say it before. The only thing that we bring to God is our need. That's what you bring to God. You bring to God your neediness. But the beautiful thing, one of the reasons why this is so significant for the gospel, for our understanding of the gospel, is that we don't come with him to, to him with our need in danger of being turned away. We come to him with a hope and a confidence that he will not only save us, but what David's saying here is, but he will sustain us. So God is not only our savior, he is our sustainer. And so you've come to God, maybe you look back on a time in your life where you've placed your trust in Christ, and oftentimes that's your, your testimony. You look back on a day. We talk about this a lot here in our understanding of the gospel. It's not just about one day when you were saved and then the rest of my life, it's just my ticket and I get to do whatever I want. No, God is savior, but he's also sustainer. And David is crying out to God here in this chapter as his sustainer. And so Jesus himself, I love this, Jesus himself in John chapter 17, verse 11. What does Jesus pray just moments before he goes to the cross in 17, 11? Father, keep them. He, Jesus acknowledges about God, that God is our sustainer. Keep them in your word. And so just a, a beautiful thing. This is a fundamental way for us to understand our relation to God and his relation to us. And it's this, that he is able to both save and sustain. Amen? He's able to sustain. So verse two, let's read verse two. Jordan, would you read verse two? So it is only from this place. So we see in verse two, what, what David says next. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. It is only from this place of utter reliance upon God. David established that. It's only from this place of utter reliance upon the initiating grace of God where we can cry out to him, you are my Lord. So he's done something for us and to us. And only in that place, in that moment, can we then turn to God and say, you are my Lord. From no other place will that come from from an initiating place of grace from God. Because we are sinners, we are sinful people. And so If we are to cry out to the Lord, you are my Lord, it is because he has done something to us, in us, and for us. And so that is something that is fundamental as well. Katie, would you read verse three? 
So for those of you who weren't able to hear, as for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. So here's the thing this morning. We're not gonna, we're not gonna like spend a ton of time on each and every verse. We could spend a lot of time on all of these, but we're just gonna kind of hit a couple of certain points. But this is, this is what David's acknowledging about God. This, these aren't just random things. David is, David is what's, the, what's the word I'm, is affirming something that is true about who God is. And so what David, I think, affirms here is that God has set his love and he has set his affection on those who belong to him. So Christian in this room, know something. You came to God with your need. That was all you brought. His love is an initiating love. It is his power and his ability to sustain us and to keep us. And there is nothing that you can do to remove yourself from his loving hand, that he has set his love and affection on those who are his. Jim, would you read verse four? So those of you who, who weren't able to hear, those who may be watching online, just, just so that we can read that. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their, name, take their names on my lips. I think this may be just one of the most, again, we're human and I'm, I'm limited in my thinking, um, but I just kind of think that this is like the most practical of all the ones. We all know what this feels like, that the sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. This is what I believe to be a high point in, in what David is saying. And I think he later bookends it in a pretty significant way. We'll get to that in just a minute. Here's what, here's what Charles Spurgeon says about this particular verse. He says that it not only reveals the Lord's distaste for sin, but the sinner's love for sin. Um, look what it says. It says, those who, who run after another God. Have you, did you catch that? Those who, who run after another God. Not those who, who passively experience the sin in our lives, but those who, who are running, who are on a path, who run after another God. And so lest we think that we passively and helplessly pursue sin. No, we pursue it very actively. We pursue sin. We pursue those things that God has not created for our fullness and our satisfaction. We passionately pursue them. There's, there's one pastor who says, who says it like this. We sin because we love it. We sin because we want to. And sometimes we feel helpless, don't we? I mean, if we're just honest, in our sin, we feel helpless. That anger that temptation that's in our lives, sometimes it, man, it feels hopeless. Don't disconnect this, though, from the truth of the gospel, that there's freedom from it. Can I just tell you that? Like, I've, I've been in seasons of sin. I've been in seasons of overwhelming temptation. I don't know if any of you have ever felt this, literally where I convinced myself there's no way out of this. Like, there is, there is no path out. There is, there is no, that is a, a lie, that is a lie that you tell yourself. That is a lie that Satan wants you to believe. Christian, there is freedom from those things that weigh you down in Christ and through nowhere or no one else. 
We also sin not only because we love it, but because we convince ourselves that there is happiness and fulfillment there, don't we? We, we sin because we convince ourselves that there is something that needs to satisfy that I'm not experiencing satisfaction is. But David says something here that all of us knows is true, that in those moments when we pursue that sin, when we chase that sin, what happens? Do we find satisfaction? No, David says our sorrows multiply. Have you felt that? Have you, have you experienced that? Those of you who are shaking your head, no, like, come on, don't lie in church. There's a, there's a song. I was talking about someone early, someone early about this earlier. Ain't it a shame to lie on Sunday when you got all the other days of the week to lie? Don't lie on Sunday. Just kidding. Don't ever lie. Um, that's that. I just preached heresy a little bit. But um, <laughs> David says something that we all know is true: that that when we pursue those things that we think will bring us satisfaction, but that are not under the design of God, our sorrows multiply, and we have we have all felt that. And so David here says, look what he says. He says, their drink offerings of blood, I will not pour out, nor, um, or take their names on my lips. David here says he will have no part in them. He, David, in some sense, we know, we know those areas of David's life that were unholy and unrighteous and sinful, like they're on display, and so we know that those, those things happened in David's life, but what David commits in his heart here by the power of God is that he will have no part in them, not even speaking their name. I don't know what all that means. We could, we could really look into that and study that later, but we won't today. Uh, verse five, verse five. You're like, please don't call my name. Please don't call my name. Jacob, would you read verse five? The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. And so this goes well with the verse before it. Instead of, instead of actively pursuing sin, David says that as a son of God, he will actively pursue God. He's gonna pursue God. He's gonna do it imperfectly. We're gonna do it imperfectly. But David says, I will not pursue my sin. I will pursue God. Somebody read for me verse six, Chad Bradley. Amen. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I love this particular verse, verse as it attests, I believe, to the wisdom and the fatherly provision of God. It just attests to that. It just, again, David's just affirming some things that are true about who God is. Let me just say like this. When I am the father that I am called to be, then the boundaries and the lines that I give to my children are not burdensome to them, at least to their soul. And so of course, like not going in the street in a way is burdensome to them because they wanna go on the street but it's not burdensome to their, to their soul. In fact, it's, it's good for them. It's safe for them. And so when I am the right kind of father, when I'm honoring my father through my fathering to my children, then the rules that I lay out, the boundaries that I set are for their good. They're, they're, they're for their good. God is a perfect father. On the other hand, sometimes the things that I, I'm not always a perfect father. And so sometimes I put things on my children that are too heavy for them to carry. God never, ever, ever puts anything on you 
that is burdensome or too heavy to carry because Christ has carried it. Christ has carried it for you. And so God's design, his teaching, his instruction to us, they're not unpleasant. They're pleasant. Now, this certainly doesn't mean that we like all of them, right? But for your good and for your joy, what this verse says right here, listen to it again. The lines, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. What does it look like when, the line, when I'm outside those lines? Well, David answered that early, earlier on. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. And so here he's saying, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. My sorrows won't, won't multiply. I will find joy in those places. God is a good, gracious, and wise father. Therefore, obey him. Obey him. He knows what's best. He's God. Verses, we got, we got, a, we got a, a twofer coming up. Lindsay, would you read verse seven and eight? I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. The question to this is, from where does our help come? From where does our help come? The psalmist asked this question actually earlier. And this is, this is an, almost an answer to that. From where does our help come? From who do we receive counsel? That's what he says. I bless the Lord. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night, also my heart instructs me. From where does our help come? Who in your life gives you counsel? And this question, especially today, may be one of the most important questions to ask yourself. I have a, I have a, a personal friend of mine who, who a few weeks ago um, encouraged people to, to build themselves a board of directors, to build, to build for their life a, a board of directors to get opinions, advice, and input from because we aren't supposed to walk through life alone. Build you a board of directors so that you can figure out this thing. Can I tell you that this is almost good advice? It, it's almost there. Like I read it and I was like, I, I, I don't respond to things most of the time, try not to. I just, I just thought in my mind, that's almost good advice right there. It's, it's almost good, but it's, but it's incomplete. It's incomplete. It's missing something. It almost sounds like, if you'll allow me, it almost sounds like what God has through his word instructed and commanded us to do in his word in his church. It's like, yes, absolutely. Get people around you who are able to speak into your life, who will counsel you. In, in the ways of the Lord, not just in the ways that you, you want or need to hear. Now, here's what this is not about. This is not about getting professional help or counseling. I think, if you'll allow me, that's good. Some of us need that. I've walked through that before. I've gone through seasons of, of, of help and counseling in a, in a professional manner before. But, but what David offers here is just, just read what he's saying. Verse seven and eight. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night. Also, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. And so what David offers here is I allow the Lord 
to be who counsels me and to be from whom I garner wisdom. I fill my mind with his word so that, or, or as a result of this, in the dark night of the soul. Have you been there? Have you been there? In the dark night of the soul? So that in the dark night of the soul or in the midst of, of inevitable suffering, my heart recalls what God has counseled me in through his word. I mean, we've all been there. And there's, there's certain things that we've, we've been told and there's certain things that we've been advised and counseled in that like, man, when, when we're really up against it, is that the thing that's gonna sustain me? No, David says his word will give me counsel. And let me just tell you, like, lest you think that it's like, hear what I'm saying here. If you have questions, you can come ask me later. His, his word instructs us how to receive this outside of his word. And so the word of God is sufficient, but the word of God tells us certain things about how to operate in life. Hey, bear one another's burdens. I'm not, what I'm not telling you to do is like, all you gotta do is hide yourself in a room and read the Bible. No, the Bible says, don't hide yourself in a room. Get plugged in. Get plugged in with a community. Be with people that will, that will counsel you. Proverbs talks about wisdom and foolishness and the company that we keep and all of those things. And so what, what, what David is saying here is that in that dark night of the soul, my heart recalls what God has counseled me in and that God's counsel is my source of comfort in those moments. And man, God's word is so good. Let me just tell you that like, and say that. God's word's good because it speaks to where we are. It speaks to where you're at. It speaks to, to the suffering. It does, not, it does not diminish the suffering that you're walking through. It doesn't turn a blind eye to the complexities of life. It, it acknowledges the questions that we have. It acknowledges the doubts and the struggles and the, and the things that we're dealing with. And, it, and, it, and, and I think, if you'll allow me again, I think in a lot of places, it just says, listen, just rest. You know, like God is good. God's not left you. You may not have answers to all your questions, but know that God is present, that God is good and that questions and doubts and those kinds of things are not signs of terrible things in your life. They're, they're opportunities for you to really lean into the source that David's talking about here. Verse nine, you can see why that, that's one of my favorite parts of this psalm. Verse nine, um, Leanne, would you read verse nine? And so this is David saying, stating, what the outcome of receiving his counsel from God and being instructed by that in the dark night of the soul. David says, we're not left in hopelessness or misery in that moment. Look what he says. Therefore, remember like the old good Baptist preachers say, you gotta see what the therefore is there for, right? Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. And so David says, the outcome of receiving counsel and wisdom from the Lord is never despair. It's never, it's never just utter despair. Again, 
Does it answer all of our questions? No. Does it, does it heal all of our, of, our, of our pain and our suffering? No. But what he does say is that in light of the counsel of the Lord, my heart experiences gladness, this deep joy. My whole being rejoices. David even goes as far to talk about his flesh. His flesh even dwells secure. Now we're gonna get to, to more on that in just a minute. But he experiences this real and lasting joy. Verse 10. I, I'm, I'm running out of people that I think like won't, you know, give me a hard time for calling them out. Mike, would you read verse 10? All right, so this is a climactic point in this psalm. It certainly has meaning and significance for us, but is ultimately fulfilled in Christ. Did you know that the Old Testament talks about Jesus? Like Jesus isn't just like this New Testament idea or just like God up in, in, in the sky, like, uh-oh, we got a bunch of sinners down there. What do, we, what do we need to do? No, Jesus is plan A. Jesus before the foundations of the world is what we would be told. Before the foundations of the world. And so it certainly has meaning and significance for us, but is ultimately fulfilled in Christ. If it is to have any significance to us, it may only have significance and it may only be true for us if it is true of a resurrected Jesus. I mean, the, Paul says that. If, he, if Jesus isn't raised, your faith is futile. If Jesus isn't raised, we're fools. We're doing all this stuff for nothing. And so if this is going to have significance for us, then it must be true of God that Jesus would be raised. In Peter, or in, in, uh, it's Peter in Acts 2, if you'll turn there with me. I won't call anybody on this one. But Peter in Acts 2, in his sermon at Pentecost, I'm gonna read verses 29 through 33. Let's read that. Brothers, I may... Sorry, let me, let me pause. Uh, Peter has just quoted Psalm 16. And so we could go back up to that. We won't for the sake of time. But in verse 25, Peter says, for David says concerning him, and then he quotes Psalm 16. In verse 29, Peter says, brother, I, brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. So what Peter's saying is, Peter's not talking about himself here primarily because he's dead and we can go visit his tomb, go check it out. So verse 30, being therefore a prophet, Peter calls David a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne. That's 2 Samuel. Verse 31 says, he, saw, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus that God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Family, all of this is true and real only if Jesus is raised from the dead. This is why I said Psalm 16 is fundamental to our very existence as a church. 
Because on the day of Pentecost, at the day of Pentecost, where the church is birthed, what does Peter say? He quotes Psalm 16. This is fundamental to our understanding of our existence as a church, as the church. And so our existence only exists if a resurrected Savior exists and if a resurrected Savior is real. And so at some level, we don't know fully, but at some level, David trusted and he knew about the resurrected King. At some level, David knew that God had promised a Messiah and that he would not stay dead. So we can trust God and we can trust the word of God. Verse 11, verse 11. Chelsea, would you read verse 11? Chelsea Poplin, sorry, Chelsea Moore. Mm. Everybody just say, mm, that's good. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So this is that other bookend that I mentioned earlier. We mentioned a bookend. I don't know if, it's, if that's what David intended it, but in our reading, it seems that David almost bookends what he said earlier. So what, back in verse, what, what verse was that? Um, verse four. So if in verse four, the sorrows of those who run after a God, another God shall multiply, then we must, we must say, okay, well, that's the negative. What's the positive? Well, the positive is in verse 11, that the fullness of joy is found in the presence of God. So in verse four, the sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Verse 11, the positive is that the fullness of joy, no sorrow, no pain, is, is found in the presence of God. Man, what a, a, a beautiful way for, for the psalmist to help us understand the presence of God in our lives, the reality of the resurrection, the beauty of the gospel, the recalling of, of who we are as a people, that we worship and we serve a resurrected Savior. Let's pray. Father, I just pray this morning that you would renew our minds and our hearts on this truth, um, that, you would, that you would enable us and allow us to heed the things that you, that you, that, that you through your word, claim. Um, you not only proclaim it, saying something about what is true, but you you claim it, and it is true because of your claim of it, of it being the reality. And so, Lord, in a, in a time and in a, in a place where, where truth is, is, is sometimes hard to understand and, and uncertain, Lord, would you just renew our minds on, on what you say to us? Lord, as we, as we come to the table this morning, we are, we are reminded um, we, are, we are able to even just practice this posture of what is so fundamental in this psalm that it is your ability and your power to preserve, to keep, to sustain, to save us. And so, Lord, we thank you this morning that we have, um, 
this opportunity as you have commanded us to do, to come to the table um, and, to, and to partake, to see with our eyes, not only to hear with our ears, but to see with our eyes um, a picture of the gospel. We love you, Father, and uh, may you fuel our worship um, as we respond to, to your word this morning. In your name, amen.